Hi, this is Arazu and Megan. And you're listening to the Dio Diaries. Hi friends, uh, Megan here. Hope you are doing well and have taken some time to do at least one nice thing for yourself this week. Uh, this episode is a very special one since we are interviewing one of my dear mentors, Dr. Adam Howard. Um, Dr. Howard has had a pretty non-traditional journey to medical school. He actually dropped out of high school to, became a, to become a Taekwondo master. And after returning, he uh, went to earn his associate degree, followed by undergrad and master's degree at Brown University. He is now a psychiatry resident at Duke University School of Medicine, and we are super grateful to be able to interview him. And uh, with that, how are you, Dr. Howard? I'm doing very well. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Pleasure to have you. Yes. Yes. We're super stoked. Um, so, Dr. Howard, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, please? Uh, as you said, I my path to medicine was from martial arts, and it was the desire to understand the people I was teaching. For example, why did certain children do super well and others struggled to even stand still? Uh, why do the things that we do help them? I was able to answer many of those questions or at least explore them when I was teaching, but I wanted a more rigorous and comprehensive insight uh, from biology and physics, chemistry, sociology, all of those things. That's kind of what drove me back to school. Uh, my passion is to transform suffering un into understanding and therefore into dignity. Uh, I believe that every person has a right to live as their best selves. And it's my observation that most people, uh, or at least many, many people, have have not discovered how to exercise that right. So through my career, I'm trying to elucidate methods by which one can capitalize on, on everything that they are and take advantage of it and live as all that they can be. And that's why I'm here. Wow. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's interesting that you kind of drew a parallel between almost like medicine and Taekwondo though. Mm -hmm. Can you like, can you elaborate a bit more on that? So like you worked with children through Taekwondo, but also you were looking at it from a more, I don't want to say like medical lens, yeah. but almost like a how to be of service to these kids down the line yeah. through your more professional career. Yeah, you know, uh, martial arts, Taekwondo, Taekwondo is, is a system that's been scientifically developed, right? Mm -hmm. we, we, we teach the movements that we do because of biomechanics and because they train your muscles to shape themselves a certain way, scientifically developed to promote human health and dignity. Uh, and medicine ostensibly is the same thing. It's an art that's been scientifically developed to promote human health and dignity. So when I was becoming a master initially, uh, even before I became a master, I was thinking about 
what is the what is the highest realization of this art? In other words, the the philosophy that core goal of promoting human dignity. How what what is the most powerful way of doing that? And it was it was in that inquiry that I that I that I felt uh, the need to to do it holistically. Um, it if if you if 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 I if I take a a ten year old child who has trouble attaching to people and who's lashing out in school and stuff like that, and I put them on the Taekwondo mat for forty five minutes, I know that I can really make a good difference. But I also know that all of the other time outside of those 45 minutes on the mat, they're going to be at home in maybe a dysfunctional family system, uh, or maybe they're going to be coping with uh, unmanaged ADHD, or they're going to be dealing with some medical issue that hasn't been solved. And as a Taekwondo instructor, I, I it was out of my wheelhouse to talk about any of those things. I didn't understand what I was seeing. I just knew I was seeing that there were a set of variables beyond those that I was trained to modify, which were hugely impacting uh, students. Um, and so to me, the study of medicine is not a study of something that's entirely different from Taekwondo. It's the study of a perspective of a paradigm that enables me to enumerate those variables and enables me to help people modify them, to become empowered to, to modulate them within themselves, within their own circumstances. Uh, so they're, they're, they're the same. Medicine to me is Taekwondo and vice versa. I feel like that's a very... Um unique, unique view. I, I like that. I like that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I also can see exactly how that perspective you have can be applied to really anything in life and how you can see medicine in anything and any endeavor you make. And so it's amazing that that kind of that insight led you towards, led you on that path to medicine. And here you are now. <laughs> I'm grateful to be where I am now. This uh it's a nice life. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't imagine living any other way. So we wanted to kind of pick your brain a little bit about now we're that we're second year medical students um, and knowing that you just came out of medical school, we wanted to pick your brain about how you personally stayed sane in medical school because it does get tough. And so what were some of the things that you implemented in your life? How do you define sane? <laughs> Um, good question i guess open to personal interpretation but like functional um no no beyond functional like actually enjoying life and right. appreciating the little things in life mm -hmm. i guess yeah i i guess viewing yourself as more than a medical student as well because like megan had mentioned earlier uh, it's easy when you're studying the biomedical sciences to dissociate from the actual humanity that is should be present in medicine. And so how do you maintain that sense of humanity when you're in medical school? Okay, that's a big question. Good question. So I'm just taking notes so then I can answer it thoroughly. I'll start with the same thing. I, I think it's always important to understand why you're using the words that you're using and you use the word sane. Um, and, and, and the word sane is, is frequently used uh, in every domain that I've, you know, everybody talks about sanity, except psychiatrists. <laughs> Insane isn't really, it's not a diagnosis I've ever seen in my life. Um, 
if you look at the legal definition of sane, a person who is sane has the ability to understand the rationale behind their decisions. So to prove that someone is insane, you have to prove that for some reason their faculties were so impaired that they did not understand why they did what they did or they didn't understand what they were doing or they didn't know that they were doing the thing. So when we talk about how do you stay sane, what you're asking is how do you maintain awareness of the rationale behind your actions? I think we're using the term very colloquially and I think that you know, thank you for calling us out on that. I think what we meant to ask <laughs> was, uh, how do you stay mindful and grounded in medical school? Yeah, I mean, sane is the correct word, though, because, the, the you know, then we get into mindful. What is mindfulness? Mindfulness is awareness of what you're feeling, what, what emotion you're feeling, uh, why you're feeling it, and do you want to respond to that emotion, and if so, how? So sanity, we can say that's the cognitive side of awareness and, and mindfulness, we can say is the emotional side of awareness. And the way that you achieve either one of those things is by practicing it. You, you may have experienced in your life that many times we do things just because we think we have to do them. Um, I, I would give the example of uh, many, of the, I, I do a lot of admissions consulting as I work with pre-medical students. Many of them will say, uh, you know, I, I have 400 research hours and I say, why? You say, well, because you have to do research again in med school. No, you don't. You, 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 the, the, you're operating based on just ideas. You didn't examine them. You don't know the rationale. Um, so I might work with that person and say, uh, no, research is a good idea for you to do because it's a way of exploring an aspect of medicine which may suit you, which may be a way that you can distinguish yourself because you have an affinity for it. It's not saying that you hate every second that you're doing research and you must do a thousand hours to get in. That's completely uh, a fallacy. And so what about our emotional behaviors? When we're in medical school and, and people have the expectation, I, I remember my, my first weeks of medical school, people saying, this class is starting, we're not gonna be able to sleep, we're gonna have to study 12 hours, you have to do 12,000 flashcards. And I thought, well, I don't have any data to back up that you don't have to. So I'm just going to do none of this and see what happens. So I did none of that. And here I am, you know, all those years later and, and, uh, and I'm a physician. So obviously all of that was rubbish. So uh, the, the first step to being either sane or mindful in, in medicine is to not do anything unconsciously. So every day, check in with yourself, you know, every night, say, look at all the decisions you made that day, the, the ways you chose to study the things you included in your schedule, the things that were not in your schedule. And I say, we're not in your schedule. And I ask you, did I take it out of my schedule? Did I put this in my schedule or am I just doing this? Why am I doing it? Um, when you understand the rationale behind each thing, then you live a sane life, a conscious life. Um, to me, doing things and not knowing why you're doing them is literally insanity. I, I don't think that's too far an abstraction of the definition of the word. When it comes to mindfulness, it's the same thing. So you can imagine somebody, let's say that somebody is a, you know, a medical student in their third year and they're doing an overnight call. And the next day they wake up and they're just overwhelmed with anxiety and they don't think about it at all. And, and then they have some trouble adjusting their sleep schedule for a few weeks. Two months later, they show up at a psychiatrist's office saying, I'm so anxious and I have no idea why. Now, sometimes we don't know where the anxiety comes from, but what if that same medical student 
had a ritual of taking five minutes a day to just sit outside and ponder, what am I feeling today? Well, that person might have noticed, I feel way more anxious than usual. I also didn't sleep last night. And I know that sleepless nights can make someone feel more anxious. So I'm going to try to get a really tight grip on my sleep schedule. I'm going to get help with this now if I need it. And they corrected that, and then they didn't develop clinically fulminant anxiety. So that, that is how you stay mindful, is by checking in with it, just like you can check in with your sanity by understanding the rationale behind what you do. So your emotions then become signals that you should investigate some aspect of what's going on, rather than a consequence of not having done that for too long a period of time. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I've actually read that somewhere where your emotions are signals telling you uh, what you need to pay attention to in your life. And that's just a great way of putting it. And it's so funny that some people still try to suppress them because it's like I'm thinking in my own case, and I'm a very transparent person, right? Like those feeling of like either imposter syndrome or insecurity or lack of confidence, they're not the best feelings. They are somewhat like I don't know you feel anxious but at the same time if you don't sit down and dive into it and like you said ask those questions of like why am I feeling this way mm -hmm. am I feeling anxious am I feeling nervous is it because of this is it because I met this person or is it because I'm comparing myself to my classmates mm -hmm. and you, you you're not going to understand that because I feel like a lot of us tend to favor those better emotions like oh I'm happy yay and we put associate better things with it but those negative emotions are just as important about that self-discovery path about us getting to know ourselves better but also um becoming our best self right yeah. so like spot on wow i was just like <laughs> light bulbs and light bulbs and everything in my head right now you bring yeah. up a good point that it it's use the term funny it, it it's odd <laughs> that so many of us suppress our emotions. We, 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 we don't want to have anything to do with our emotions. Many people conceptualize emotions as weakness. But when you think about where the current generation of human beings were raised, many people uh, were in were in some way affected by survival psychology. I'll give you an example. When a person feels very overwhelmed and they're presented with another human being who then dumps all of their emotional needs on them, they, the first thing they, the, the, the knee jerk reaction many times is please don't have that emotion. Stop having that emotion. Maybe you don't have that emotion. Actually, no, you don't have that emotion. And so that other person then is learning. I should neglect. I should suppress. I should attach, detach from my emotions. And sometimes it's not a clear communication. It's built into a, a role narrative, right? You're a man, be a man. Men don't have emotions, right? You're a strong woman. You're, you're, you know, you're not a little girl. You're a strong woman. You have a stiff upper lip. And so the person, the, the, the parent, obviously, in this case, or um, you know, the caregiver oftentimes teaches the child that they externalize, the caregiver externalizes their own overwhelmedness and teaches the child to stay as far away from motion as possible because the caregiver themselves is not processing it. So then imagine a generation of those people, what would they look like? 
I imagine that they would really not want anything to do with their emotions. Um, the other thing that you would see is that their identity, their womanhood, their manhood, their leadership, their strength, their whatever, is tied up with a certain way of dealing with emotions. So the treatment for that, I think, is exactly what you're doing, which is promoting that people pay attention to their emotions as signals, not as I have, I feel anxiety, therefore I am an anxious person, therefore I am not a calm, collected leader or man or woman or parent or whatever, but rather I'm feeling anxiety, it's a signal to something, let me figure out what it's signaling and address that so that I can become a more capable leader, a better parent, a better physician, a better whatever it is. When we switch that narrative, when we model that and when we uh, promote that in our social circles, I think we'll begin to heal the, intergener the intergenerational trauma that can arise whenever a, 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 an entity in the pedigree becomes emotionally overwhelmed and, and shuts it down. Again, very much so accurate. It is like I'm thinking the broke, I don't want to say the broken people, but carrying the trauma within generations, that's, I can see how that can happen, right? A stressed out family member or a stressed out parent uh, you know, the kid wants to confine or they're stressed and trying to talk to their family and they're not very much so responsive. So they associated like, oh, when I'm sad, when I'm emotional, I'm trying to talk to my mom, for instance, yeah. she is not responding well. Therefore, you subconsciously learn to suppress it. And then that's doing work later. That's more work in your adult life to learn how to be in tune with those emotions. So, um, yeah. And it's not so much just learning how to be in tune with your emotions, but it's also unlearning the patterns of behavior that you've learned along the way yes. and breaking that cycle of intergenerational trauma that has just persisted. And I think back to my own experiences and your parents being models of how to deal with your emotions and how to deal with really anything in life and how I've sort of subconsciously picked up their patterns and behaviors. And now as an adult trying to unlearn all of that has it really you have to put in 10 times more work it, it's huge and it, when i i was doing a, a panel for the first years at, at, at my medical school a while back and they said what advice do you have and i said get a therapist like all of you just get therapists um i've had therapists i just started with a new therapist here in residency because you've identified the need to learn different cognitive patterns in order so that you can be sane and mindful and human and, and, and not have your emotions being burdened on you. Um, but identifying that I need something different creates a new problem, which is I don't know what that thing should be. Getting a therapist, that's the therapist's job, is to teach you a better pattern. Uh, you try this strategy when you feel this emotion, uh, or if you're doing, say, trauma therapy, uh, psychodynamic therapies, thinking through your childhood with you, helping you process, understanding what you felt. Uh, th th these these things are very important. And this is, I, I would say that's a, uh, a must do for those of us going into psychiatry. Uh, but I would say it, it would be useful for every person, especially in healthcare. You do not want to be carrying around your emotions as these unconscious, unacknowledged burdens on your mind, slowing you down, weighing you down, making you act in ways that are other than what you would want. Work through it. Get a therapist. 
allow yourself the space to be fallible because we're all fallible that it's not there's people who need help and people who don't there's people who acknowledge that they need help and people who don't acknowledge it everyone needs help wow absolutely yes. <laughs> and i want to actually um share this book that i haven't gotten yet but i've heard really good things about it's called the adult children of emotionally immature parents uh, and it's how to heal from distant rejecting or self-involved parents and the reason i say that it's because um i'm a child of an immigrant and i feel like that <laughs> especially as children of immigrants you tend to because you help out your parents a lot but you also um what am I trying to say exactly? Basically, like internalize a lot of their emotions and how mm -hmm. what life is doing to them and their difficulties. Because again, a lot of immigrants, when they like move to the States, they lose that identity that they had in their home country. And that some a lot of times, unfortunately, gets dumped on the child. But mm -hmm. basically, this book was something that um, I don't know. I'm, I'm I follow this therapist on TikTok, and he he talked about he actually uh, funny story. He wanted to be a psychiatrist, but dropped out of medical school, and that now he's a therapist. But hey, to each their own. Um, and he's very happy, which I'm happy for him. But anyways, he suggested this book, and uh, it seems like a very interesting one. So it it sounds like it, and it, it you can imagine if you take a step back and think of yourself, think of your life not just as just I'm alive, me, but you know I am a chain in a link I have parents children so on and so forth mm -hmm. if you think of parents of immigrant children that oftentimes people immigrated you know, not because they were looking for a new fun adventure but because there was some stuff going on and then they came here and there's more mm -hmm. stuff going on financial hardship um, discrimination all these things so the parents oftentimes were raised and then lived their lives in a survival mindset where Absolutely. thriving was just, you know, they're living check to check, day to day. And when you raise a child in that environment, uh, it, it, it's hard to pass on the tools you need to survive outside of survival. Mm -hmm. So what you have then are many children, now adults, who all that was modeled to them was here's how you survive when things are scarce. And they find themselves, because of the hard work of their parents, able to go to college, able to have a house, able to dream bigger dreams, and also unable to deal with emotions because that was not what their parents were trained to do. And so think of yourself intergenerationally. If my parents' job was to get me out of whatever hardship they had, and they did it, and now we're here and there's some ease going on, then my role is to heal through the trauma that they couldn't process. They passed it on to me. Process it. And then when you have children or when you if you don't if having children is not a part of your your life, when you have students, when you have coworkers, when you have call, you're passing on then reconciled insight into life. And then people can go on to build on that, just like you built from your parents. So I believe that trauma is a natural part, not just of the individual lifespan, but of the the pedigree kind of so acknowledging where you fall in that and solving the problem enumerating the problems that, that it's your role to solve and then solving them can be a very meaningful uh way to make sense of your place in the world yeah i i can kind of pick up just from where this conversation is going what your answer to this next question might be but i want to kind of 
pick your brain a little bit about why you chose a career in psychiatry. For me, the career decisions I've made have always been secondary to the question. The question is, what does human thriving look like and how do you make it happen? When I, when I was teaching in the Taekwondo studio, that, that was my first, uh, my first career, my first introduction to a school of thought. And in that school of thought, if you can do the, the red belt thing, you can do the blue and the green and the yellow. So when I started to shift towards medicine, I thought, what's the thing at the top so that I can learn all of the things and then learn to do the master thing too. And like, I'll become a brain surgeon. Uh, and then I, I, I went and I, and I observed surgery and I participated in it and I, it's thrilling and amazing work. Yet my assumption was wrong. You don't learn how to do primary care and therapy and all the things, and then you can do surgery that we, we all do different modalities and it, it might seem very obvious to your audience. But to me, it was a it was a huge earth shaking re revelation that it, it's not as hierarchical as it is in, in Taekwondo. Um, I still I think not a single day that I leave the house goes by that I don't clean a public toilet with my hands because in the Taekwondo studio, like you're responsible for what is there. You don't leave the world a mess behind you anyway. In medical school, I had first that realization that I would not um surgery was not the the best way for me to answer the question that drove me forward the other thing that i started to acknowledge as i was in therapy and working through my own trauma is how much surgery and prestige and so on and so forth were to me the operational definition of autonomy of being able to take care of myself and my family and prevent the things that happened to me as a child from happening to my children, my family, and, and the people I interact with going forward. That cognitive distortion caused me to think more of what, what I, it made me love the thought of surgery more than I love the actual surgery. And then I was sitting with one of my mentors once. And she said, you should go into psychiatry. And she was saying, you know, your talents are in teaching and in speaking and in things like this. Why would you throw that away to become a surgeon? Her words were, how dare you be <laughs> that ungrateful? And that flipped my thinking. So I stopped thinking about what, what do I, what do I want? What do I need? And I, and I, and I instead thought, what am I? Who am I? What are the things that I do better than the other things that I do? What are the things that I do easily that others struggle with? In other words, where, what is my natural affinity? And I believe from my observations about people I admire in the world that when you, when you figure out what your natural affinity is and you align it with the mechanisms that you used to achieve your purpose or pursue your question or whatever, that's when you achieve genius. In other words, a genius is someone who figured out what they were made to do, what, what the, the thing, what their thing is. They figured that out and then they polished it until they were a master at it, when they were brilliant at it. That's when you see the phenomenon of, wow, how does that person do that? So for me, that thing is not surgery and it, it's not, accounting and it's not research it is 
listening and speaking and thinking. I think y'all have been listening to me for. A few I can months. attest. I can attest. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is hundred percent. So, so, um, so I, I chose psychiatry because it's it was it will enable me theoretically will enable me to pursue the questions that have drove me this that have driven me this far. It'll enable me to make the difference in the world that I want to make to help people like the students who motivated me to get this far uh, in, in the way that I think they deserve to be helped. Uh, and since this is a podcast for medical students, I, I think what's important is that really examine, I talked about sanity before, why you're doing the things you're doing. Stop thinking about what you want to become and instead learn to accept what you are. Everybody, everybody can do something just better than they can do other things. If you find yourself in medical school, I guarantee you there is some region, some specialty, some subfield of medicine where the things that you are naturally better at is needed. So reframe from what do I want to be? What context do I want to practice in? What type of patients? What type of diseases? And think, what have I been given naturally that I can polish, refine, figure out how to help other people with it and, 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 and live a fulfilling life as me? Does it make sense? Yes. Was that linear? Completely. No, I don't know I'm, if you learned the mental status exam yet. If I become <laughs> circumferential, tangential, flight of ideas, if you see me responding to internal stimuli, like stop me. Let me oh know. no, <laughs> no. I I feel like this was almost revelational because like I I am thinking what I want to become mm. and not what I'm am I good at. I think when like when I was in that course with you and when like I feel like obviously you're my mentor and when I was more so in contact that was at the forefront of my mind that's how I started medical school and not to say that I lost track of like the or lost my mindfulness through this journey I I do like I do take that time to sit with my emotions as much as I can and know not just going through day to day like mind mindlessly but I definitely have been I feel like more so focusing on oh what do I want to become okay is it PMNR is it like OB not like what am I good at which I mean duh it that should be the driving question but um it's it's easy to I don't know I feel like when everyone is just like oh you need this match rate or this is this ranking for this I don't know step score they want, you know, so it's just like you get caught in that and it's so, so easy to just be like, wait, 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 I started this because of X, Y, and Z. And like, let's not forget the things that I'm good at and find that niche based on that. Like it's a, it's such a more authentic way to go about it than yeah. just like, oh, I see a few good things. Like I like women health and I like this. So OB, let's go. But instead of being like, what is it that Megan can um, mm -hmm. put in this world? Type yeah. of thing. I think what I'm gleaming from your response is basically the formula is why are you, why did you pursue medicine in the first place? Also, what are you good at? And that will lead you towards your purpose and your specialty. Yeah. And so I completely resonated with what you said about why you went into psych. Good. I'll, let me, I'll tell you a, a story. It's, it's not just why you go into medicine. I, I was, I was teaching a class 
um, it was an MCAT class at Ron University. I was teaching uh, and I was substituting, so I didn't know the students. So I wanted to immediately get to know them very well. So I walked in uh, and I said, hello, my name is Adam Howard. I'll be your teacher today. My purpose in life is to promote health and human dignity. Uh, just tell me your name and 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 why you're alive. Uh, and <laughs> so they'd be like, what? The, yes, definitely. Uh, the average heart rate in the room increased. Um, <laughs> then I, I went down the first row and, and they were very, the answers were reasonably shallow. Like nobody wants to divulge that to someone they've just met. And I got to the second row and this gentleman stands up and he introduces himself and very tearfully chokes out, I'm alive because I don't want to see my mother suffer anymore. And that, that type of clarity is what you need. I've repeated that exercise many times. Most of the time I'll say, you know, what, why are you alive or what gets you out of bed in the morning or, or why are you here? What's your purpose in life? And people will say, oh, I got out of bed in the morning to come to this meeting or because I had class or because I had an exam. And my response to that is, okay, so you're going to take the exam tomorrow and then you're going to drop dead because you've completely expended your purpose in life. That's not the case. And people do the same thing. What's your goal? I want to become a doctor. So you're going to become a doctor and then cease to exist. Because if that's your purpose, <laughs> then what's the point of you? And you see the, 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 the rates of depression, burnout, suicide happen in medical providers. I wonder if it's frequently because people achieve the thing they thought was their purpose, but they never realized that medicine is just a mechanism. They didn't articulate their purpose. So I would encourage the listener to ask yourself the question, why are you alive? What gets you out of bed in the morning? On the worst day of your life, what is the thing that you're still motivated to do? If you were on your deathbed, looking back at an accomplished, fulfilled life, what did that life contain? When you know that about yourself, you can articulate yourself with this unassailable conviction. And it's very, when you're in the presence of someone like that, and I've, I've met some people who have that clarity, you just feel alive. The, 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 the passion radiates. And you, you mentioned, you know, step scores and all this other stuff. Uh, what, 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 were, what were Albert Einstein's college admission scores? No one. I don't, I don't know. I feel like of course that's you don't not. Know. Yeah. <laughs> now, if you, if you go look it up, you go on Wikipedia, you'll find out that he failed his college admissions exams at least once. Right. And so let's say that Einstein was a medical student. He failed his USMLE and he's thinking, I'm never going to make anything of myself now. But that's the difference between Einstein and normal people or many people that many people see that and they, they take that as evidence of their invalidity. But um, it's people who, who you have to recognize it's irrelevant. When you know your purpose, you know your calling. It doesn't matter who approves of you. It doesn't matter where you accept to get accepted. It doesn't matter where you go. Uh, you're going to find a way to pursue that purpose. And if you figure out who you are at the same time and you make if you find a mechanism that suits who you are, then you're probably going to serve that purpose really, really well. So 
know thyself it's worth it wow i literally like wrote down i want all the listeners to know um like a little quote page with everything that you've said and i used to do that during my mcat studying like um because in the group that we are you know you send out little quotes and stuff and like the ones that will resonate i would like literally write them out on a sticky note and i would put them on my wall because they're such beautiful reminders <laughs> like they're like the how to conscious life with power <laughs> no like honestly um, i'm honored thank you yeah yeah of course and like this this is so refreshing this is so refreshing because i um i haven't thought about that in a long time you know i feel like it's and it's so funny because i i see myself as someone who is living a somewhat conscious life but I haven't digged that deep. So this gives me a good exercise, you know, after like our episode to just sit down and be like, okay, Megan, why are, why am I alive? And yeah. um, like truly dig in. And if any of our listeners do want to try this exercise, I think it's okay to acknowledge that there will be some resistance. Yes. Um, initially, like I, as I'm talking about it, I can feel that in myself, but just ask yourself that question over and over again and don't don't give up until like you get that honest answer um but yeah i know what i'll be doing after <laughs> this episode yeah yeah um yeah, yeah. how are you feeling arzu oh i just i appreciate everything you just said and especially that last bit at the end uh know thyself i think authentically living your best life is the best service you can do for the world and so i really really appreciate you just ending with that little piece of advice just because it really just comes down to that right and it's this well, universal hurt. truth that we if we all just practiced so easy we would all be so much more content and happier i feel i think that quote came from the oracle from the matrix or something <laughs> yeah, that's not mine but thank you for that reflection <laughs> If you um, were to meet like a pre-medical or a medical student and like you wanted to leave one thing with them, what would that be? Um, know your purpose, define your purpose. I, I was thinking about this at one point. I mentioned this in a talk I gave once. This, um, you study physics, one thing that stuck with me is how the the universe tends to spread out more, right? Entropy, it tends Entropy. to spread out more. Uh, so then it makes you think, what is it that holds you together? Why don't mm. you just disperse? Or rather, because uh, in our lives, it manifests in certain ways, right? There, there are many days where you just want to you know, sit down and turn into soil and like not move. You feel that lethargy. But you do get up every day, whether you get up, whether you jump out of bed or you ooze out of bed onto the floor and like make your way into clinic, whatever, you do get out of bed every day. Yeah. So what is it that gives you the strength, even on your worst day, to defy the laws of physics? Right. If you know your purpose in that way, nobody can take that from you. Nobody can give you a bad evaluation that makes you feel pointless because you know your point. Nobody can say a mean comment to you that makes you feel worthless because you know your worth. There's no exam that you can get a poor score on 
that makes you feel like you're incapable because nobody is capable of being you besides you. Nobody is capable of fulfilling your mission, your unique mission in the unique way that only you would fulfill it besides you. And that it doesn't make a person and I, I'm not at all kind of just saying oh, every, everyone's a special little butterfly and, and you know, you're, you're all amazing all the time. Like, no, we still acknowledge our flaws and, and work through things. Uh, but there's there's a difference between being humble and being focused on growth mm. and allowing notions of self-deprecation to creep into your thinking. Knowing your purpose is the first the first uh, plate in your armor against succumbing to imposter syndrome and feelings of worthlessness, which to be clear, I have experienced plenty of just mm. this morning. So it, it, it keeps, it, it's always coming, but you know, th- th- it, it, this, uh, that's not to say there's some people who just figured it out and, and were immune, mm-hmm. um, but it, it gives you more power in your own yeah. life power to be you, power to live the life you want, to become the person you want to be, it starts with knowing your purpose. That's, I think, if I had one bit of advice to give, that's the bit. Mic drop. And, uh, <laughs> I can't drop this. this uh, yeah, yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you would say that to get to that, right, to learn and know your self-worth, it's asking those hard questions from yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's being sane and mindful, right? It's being sane and mindful. Don't you, you're never going to figure out why you're alive if you don't know why you went to school today. If you don't know why you, you write your clinical notes the way that you do. If you don't know why you study the way that you study. If you don't know why you felt a certain way on a given day. It, it's it, it's like you say, I want to lift 500 pounds and I, I don't know how to do it. But you you don't lift 25. You don't rep 50. You don't rep 100. You have to build up to it. The mindfulness and consciousness, when you're conscious of the, the little things, the things that are floating through your mind and, and occupying you on a daily basis, then you you build up the the insight, the, the, the capacity for insight that you can actually understand yourself, why you are who you are, your purpose. It's an effort. It comes over time. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's... Um... It takes time to be conscious and I think it takes work um, and it's so easy to be like, oh, I'm busy today. Oh, I just need to like finish these donkey cards or, oh, I just got to go to class. But that is something that I think is even worth sacrificing some study time if you if you feel like oh, it's the end of the world. It's not because like you said, living that mindful, mindful life is that we'll give you that discipline to show up for yourself. We'll give you that motivation. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, to me, motivation is myth. Uh, I'm more of like on the discipline side. Like I think discipline is the viable option and it's not like, oh, how do you stay motivated? But um, yeah, it will give you that driving force to get up every day, like you said, and to be the best version of you for the world. So thank you for that. Thank you for sharing. I, I completely agree. Yeah, I think that going off of what Megan said, being intentional about your moves and being intentional about the decisions you make on a daily basis leads you to staying sane and staying mindful of who you are and staying committed to who you are. Yeah, 100%. Well, we appreciate Dr. Yeah. Howard.
taking the time to talk to us today. And we hope to have you back again soon if you're willing. Oh, yes. It's always an honor and a privilege. I enjoy speaking to you both. Thank you. Thank Yay. you so much. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.